Hey everyone, why are we so focused on school vouchers when so many kids in our state and area are uninsured? Plus, things are getting heated as Mayor Turner enters his final few months in office, and time is a flat circle. Hey, Houston Newsletter editor Brooke Lewis joins me to talk about those stories and more. It's Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. I'm Rahil Ramzanali, and here's what Houston's talking about. All right, Brooke, we're only two days away from Thanksgiving, but we're still doing an episode, all right? Because we're here for the people. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm already thinking about food. I'm already thinking about what I'm going to eat. The dessert is really what I'm excited about. So that's what I'm thinking about. Oh my gosh, me too. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I think I'm going to start my fast right now and just break <laughs> it with Thanksgiving and then just like really wreck my body. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I want to start with a quick first story here, okay? So, Houston First Corporation, which is the marketing group for the city, has said they will not be paying for Mayor Turner's book printing costs, which would be about $124,000. The group said it would need to raise more money for the book's design, production, and printing of 600 copies. Now, people at a luncheon were given copies of A Winning Legacy, The Power of Vision, Collaboration, Resilience, and Transformation. So, the book is out there. Now, Brooke, are you interested in reading a book about Mayor Turner? <laughs> so I, I don't know if I have the answer you're looking for. I do love a good memoir and I love a good book like a, with a political figure. And I know he's not like Obama, but I, I think I would have added it to my reading list. But I see how expensive as someone who is hopes to be a future author one day. The cost of a book being 124000 is pretty, pretty crazy. And I could see why they declined to um, foot the bill. But I'm interested in the book. So I don't know if you can find a cheaper printing option, but I would want to read it. Yeah. So it would be for 600 copies, right? But it's still, I guess, the design and yeah. uh, getting everything done. But since there's copies out there, I feel like everything is done. You just got to print the books. But it's a 90-page memoir. Um yeah, it is expensive. I'm sure you can find different alternatives, okay? I just feel like this number is really high. First yeah. of all, you're right. It's way too high. Maybe he needs to strike a deal with Spotify because Spotify is now offering audiobooks on there for free if you have premium. And I'm getting ready to listen to that Britney Spears memoir because I want to hear all the juicy details. <laughs> Man, that's going to be good. That's going to be spicy. Um, <laughs> uh, for me, I'm like, uh, I'm not a big memoir guy. So, okay. And I guess uh, all the good parts anyways would hit the web, right? Like we'll hear That's all so the true. stories. Yeah. So everything I need to know about the last eight years in terms of what really happened or big moments and who Mayor Turner was dealing with and who said what, all those uh, excerpts are going to be out there. So it's like I already read the book. So who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm interested to hear about some of the private things that he may have went through that we didn't know about, like his cancer journey. Like, I, I, I think I would be interested to read a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but it is easy to just wait for the highlights because, you know, they're going to be out there. Yeah. Speaking of Mayor Turner, did you see the spicy story? This is another use of the word spicy here. <laughs> but did you see the spicy story between he and Amy Davis, the investigative reporter at KPRC? I did glance over that and I thought that was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who haven't seen it, you can see the video. It's linked in our show notes. But basically, Amy Davis has been trying to figure out why 
water bills have been so high. And this is a story that she's been pursuing for a long time. I'm, I'm sure she's done her due diligence and sending in the questions, trying to get people on the line, like trying to get answers for citizens. And at one point, she just went to an event and was like, Mayor Turner, what's the deal with the high water mm-hmm. bills? Like, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. And he got really upset at her. He's like, this is not the time or place. I'm just <laughs> paraphrasing here. And then he even said, I'm going to report you to the GM of KPRC. And I was like, ooh, wow. and guess where I saw the clip on KPRC. So they're probably <laughs> like, uh, this is gold for us. This is awesome. You know who's not going to get in trouble? Amy Davis. Exactly. And I feel like that is also the MO of like the broadcast reporters. You know, you always see them outside, like, uh, you know, uh, trying to confront a public official. And so they love that kind of stuff. I don't think that's going to be a problem for her. I think he just made yeah. things actually better for her story. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's good for them, but it's also good for the people who need answers, right? Like yeah. nobody can find answers on why these water bills are so high. So for her to be like, okay, enough is enough. Like, can you please answer this? Can somebody get me answers here? I love that. You know what? That's the access that the media has and to take advantage of it. And Mayor Turner might not like it, but that's what they're there for. Yeah. And I think we've all been there as reporters where you're just trying to get to the bottom of something. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to go to the main public official and be like, what is up with this? Give me the answers. Because that's her last line. Like she's probably gone through so many officials, administrators, people who are kind of giving her the runaround. So for her to confront him at a meeting, that was probably just like her last straw. She needed the answer. Yeah, it was interesting to say the least. Okay, let's get to your big story. What do you got for us, Brooke? Yeah, so I thought this story was pretty crazy, but it has a happy ending. There was a Houston woman who was taking a trip out to Big Ben, and she had been missing since November 9th, and she was actually found on Friday, November 17th. So she was missing for a little over a week. Her family knew that she was supposed to have a camping reservation there, but she never showed up. And I I saw this story Friday morning and I was like, this isn't looking good. But then I saw later that day that she had been found on Lost Mine Trail, the same area where she went missing for more than a week. And it's just kind of someone's worst nightmare, like for family mm-hmm. and friends. And for someone who's always wanted to visit Big Ben, I feel like this is also a cautionary tale about hiking alone too. You really have to make sure that you have the right safety precautions in place and that people also know where you are. Because sometimes people just take, you know, I'm going to take this little trip. I'm not really going to tell anybody. And then things can happen. Yeah, that's that's a great precautionary measure. We've gone to Big Bend. And let me just tell you, it is so awesome. It's so beautiful. But it is so freaking big. I don't <laughs> think people understand how big the national park is. First of all, it takes just an hour to get to Big Bend from like the main road. Okay. So you're just driving for like 45 minutes to an hour. Then when you get to the actual entrance where people take pictures of the sign, from there to the first hike is another 30 minutes. Okay. So it takes forever to get around Big Bend and you can only go 30 miles per hour. So you can't go fast either, but it is so beautiful. We loved it. Now, when you get to these hikes or popular hikes, like the Santa Elena Canyon hike. That one is easy. You're not going to get lost. And there's tons of people there. Lost Mine Trail, we didn't get a chance to do that one. So yeah, like that one looks a little bit more rugged and a little bit more out there. Now, the hiker in question who was lost and found, she got disoriented because of the weather. Mm -hmm. That's my next tip. Always 
prep for weather because there are major floods that happen with a quick rain there. And it is so scary how fast water rises in Big Bend. So you have to be really careful uh, when you're out there. But what I recommend is doing a canoe or rafting trip Mm -hmm. through Big Bend and you have guides with you. You get to see all of the park, pretty much like the main part. And it is so pretty to do. And it's so easy to do. That's what we did. Like we did it with a six-year-old at the time. Yeah. So just to give you some context. And it was a blast. You get to see all the main highlights. Um, and if you're going to do the hikes, again, go with somebody, as you mentioned, yeah. Brooke. That makes life easier. And if you do go alone, there's so many hikers out there. So like just buddy up with somebody. Yeah. Everyone's so friendly out there or just follow somebody like be kind of creepy, yeah. but be near somebody. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's just even if you hike alone, maybe have somebody like you have to find my friends on, like make sure they know where you're at so that someone. That's not going to work. There's oh, no it's still there's there. no signal. <laughs> there's oh my no gosh. signal there. Uh, Brooke, it is like it, it is a wasteland in terms of signal. Uh, I think I remember getting a little bit. But yeah, when we were trying to like get Google Maps going or something, yeah, uh-uh, you just have to use the brochure they give you. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, but I still, I mean, I it's still on my bucket list. I'm hoping to go soon and just soak in all the beauty because I think people yeah. forget that we just have this national treasure here in Texas. And it is, you know, it's a drive from Houston or a flight from Houston, but it's definitely worth going. But I'm so happy to hear that she was found safe and um, that her family can reunite with her and everything's good. Yeah, it's it's such a good ending to that story. And again, I recommend it to everyone. Please do it once. It is, honestly, it's a life-changing trip for me. Like I was, I left and I was like, where am I? This is heaven. This is magic. Like this is why people love Texas so much. And there's so many songs about Texas and (laughs) really deep spiritual lyrics for the state. It's because of places like that. It's Mm -hmm. incredible. Yes. Okay, I'm going to get to my biggest story, and this comes from Houston Public Media. Since Texas began checking people's eligibility for Medicaid after pandemic-era protections ended earlier this year, more than 1.4 million people statewide have lost healthcare coverage, and almost 60% of those people who lost coverage during the Medicaid unwinding period are kids. Now, that's close to 729,000 children, and just in our area, 11.6% of kids are uninsured. The national rate of kids being uninsured is 5.1%. So you can see we're almost double that. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I want to connect it to another story. While this is happening where kids don't have insurance or Medicaid coverage, Governor Abbott is over here threatening people with special sessions on his voucher bill that just took another defeat because the House removed it from House Bill 1 on Friday evening in a joint party effort. That's key, a joint party effort. Afterwards, Governor Abbott said, quote, I would just have to veto it, would have to start all over again. We'd be spending December here, maybe January, maybe February here. And I know one thing about both the House and Senate, they want to get out of here. (laughs) So like, think about that. The people have spoken and the representatives have said, no, the people don't want this, right? Like we are voting on behalf of the people of Texas. And Governor Abbott is still saying, no, no, we're going to get this done. You know what? I don't care what the people say. This is something that I want to get done. And it's so frustrating to hear this story in conjunction with the fact that maybe this almost 500 to a billion dollars, that's what the estimates are about how much this voucher program will cost. 
why can't we just use that money to, uh, I don't know, insure kids and make sure that kids have insurance? Oh my gosh. I know. I now dealing with a mom who's gone through some chronic health issues. I don't think people realize just how uh, crucial this issue is of health insurance and people not being able to afford care for their kids. Um, I mean, I'm someone who's privileged enough to have health insurance. My parents have health insurance, but there's still costs with us having health insurance and dealing with my mom who's been sick. And so it's just crazy to think about people who have so many kids and there's also so many adults that are without health insurance. And this could be fixed by our governor and we're wasting time on issues that uh, we just don't need to be wasting time on. Yeah, it's just heartbreaking and it's so frustrating. And you're right. Like, we're lucky that we have insurance. My kids have insurance, but having two kids who are like currently going through just issue after issue because of what season we're in and everyone's getting colds mm-hmm. and bugs and stomach flu, I can't imagine without insurance. Like, what would it look like? Right. Because it is so expensive to go see, you know, a provider. So even with insurance, it's expensive <laughs> and it's just heartbreaking that we could do something about it. But again, we're focused on making sure that, you know, the voucher bill gets passed and it's just, ugh, it's just so frustrating. Yeah. And I think in a time when we have, you know, COVID and things that can just continue on RSV, I know friends of friends who have children that have gotten sick with RSV and how that they can be hospitalized. It's just, you know, that is heartbreaking that there are people out there that can't even afford the treatment for some of these things. Um, And it's just... It's just sad. All right, Brooke, I have some rapid fire stories here for you. And the first one I know you're not going to like because this is a (laughs) just a creepy one. Houston has the most cockroach infestations in the USA, according to the website Pestnome. Because of our heat and humidity, 37% of homes in our area have said they've had cockroaches in the last 12 months. Now, I'm not sure if that means like I saw a cockroach or like, oh my God, I need to call the pest guy because they are everywhere. But this is just a number. Do you think we're number one? We have the most cockroach infestations. We're the roachiest city. Oh my gosh. I really hope this is not right. Like I, for one, cockroaches are the scariest to me out of anything. I will actually see a cockroach in my apartment or even at my parents' house And I'll literally go to the next room. Like, I will not kill it. I'll just be like, I'm going to move to the next room. It'll take me hours to actually muster up the courage to kill it. And I actually put my, I put the responsibility on my cat. I tell her, hey, you got to do this for me. You got to, you got to use your skills. And sometimes she does kill it. But sometimes she looks at me and I'm like, I'm not going to kill this. I need for you to kill it. But I, I just can't, if we, if we're the Rochia city, it's like, this is not the reputation I want Houston to have whatsoever. No. I like that your cat is like my wife. When she sees a roach, she just looks at me. Like, you going to do something about this? And I'm like, what? Why can't you do something about this? You can easily get a napkin. <laughs> my running joke for myself is that, look, I'm a single woman. I can do all things. I can get my own groceries. I can hammer stuff in my apartment. But when it comes to killing 
roaches and anything else, that's when I'm like, okay, maybe it's time for me to be in a relationship. Maybe it's time for me to have somebody <laughs> to come help kill those things because I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> the Yeah. Friends with benefits is a different term here. The benefit <laughs> is you're killing a cockroach. <laughs> Although, do you remember the episode we did with the allergist, she actually said that we have a lot of cockroach allergies because they carry a lot of, you know, bacteria and Ugh. whatnot. So people come in with cockroach allergies as well. So I didn't know that. But yeah, I learned that uh, in that episode too. That's scary. But also, I mean, we have these big Texas roaches that have the wings and they fly like I, mm. I'm not surprised I feel like I see co cockroaches more in the summertime um, so I don't see them as much now but I, look if we are the Rochia city it's because our cockroaches are so big and scary yeah, they are <laughs> okay speaking of homes Houston suburbs which are such an important part of the makeup of the city for those of you who don't like the suburbs for whatever reason Three of them were named House Rich Cities by All-Star Homes. Now, Sugarland, Pearland, and Leak City got these uh, rankings, and the term House Rich basically looks at the median cost of a house and the median income. So, for example, Sugarland's median home value is about $397,000, and the income is $132,000, which means that a person making that much could afford a house here in Sugarland. Pearland and Leak City had about similar numbers as well. Houston, though, it is actually harder to find a starter home because the median value of a home in the city is closer to $201,000, while the median household income in the city is $56,000. So it is harder to get a house in Houston as opposed to the suburbs. What are your thoughts on this, Brooke? Yeah, I'm not surprised. I think it's so expensive to live in the loop of Houston and buy a home. I mean, that's a dream of mine, but I have a feeling that when it's time for me to buy a home, I'm going to be out here in the suburbs like everybody else, which is not bad because you get more bang for your buck, you get more land, and there's a lot of similar things in the suburbs that are in Houston now. So, but I'm not surprised. Yeah. And just like getting a house in certain neighborhoods in Houston, that 200,000 number is, it's impossible, right? Like you're looking closer to a million dollars, having friends who are <sighs> trying to find homes in Houston. They're like, yeah, the entry level price right now, seems like it's a million dollars in like coveted neighborhoods. So oh, I can't even imagine how hard it is to get a, a house in Houston right now. Yeah. It seems like it's not doable, mm -hmm. but unless you have a really high, high income and you've built up your savings, it seems yeah. like it's not doable. Okay, last story here in the rapid fire. This is a food one for you. Popular foodie reviewer Keith Lee is coming to Houston for his family tour series. And by the way, he just destroyed Atlanta and the joints that are popular there for having really bad service. <laughs> and like it was this whole thing. It was really interesting to follow as somebody who doesn't know much about Keith Lee outside of his food reviews. Um, it was like a whole thing. Like Atl the city of Atlanta was crumbling it seemed like because he just <laughs> eviscerated them with his negative reviews but he is coming to houston okay this is the story and he's looking for spots that are underlooked are you going to recommend something to him brooke uh spots that are underlooked oh man i'm scared though because if he already was coming for atlanta spots i'm like maybe i should protect these so he doesn't come for yeah. them but i think i'm like i can imagine him though going to post right now because post is such a big spot. And even though it's not underlooked, I think there are spots there that don't get a lot of attention. We've mm -hmm. all heard of Chop and Block. 
I'm like, he can't come for chopping block, but yeah. I feel like he could go there and he might have some surprising takes for, for some Houstonians. Yeah, one of the great things that he does is he'll find restaurants that are struggling but are good. Like they just don't have enough people knowing about them, right? Like through mm-hmm. marketing. And as soon as he posts a review the next day, there's just lines everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like he changes lives, which is so freaking beautiful just through the power of TikTok, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking like I really want to recommend my favorite taco truck that I've talked about on this mm-hmm. podcast before. Mm-hmm but I don't want to wait in lines. Okay. Like I'm, I'm kind of like stuck in the middle here. Look, it's in Richmond. So I don't know how many people will come out here anyways, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of uh, torn here because more people need to know about Taqueria La Paria, but man, it, the lines would be long because the food is so good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm the person that's going to all the spots that everybody already knows about. Yeah. So I'm like, it's fine. I'm already in the line. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll just stand in this line. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't wait to see what he says about the Houston food scene. It's going to be interesting for sure. Yes. Okay, Brooke, I've got you here for a couple more minutes. I'm going to give you the space to air out any gripes, grievances you have. What do you got on your mind? Okay, I think when I was growing up, I always heard my parents or people older say that time flies, things are always moving so fast, cherish every day. And I was always rolling my eyes at that. And I was like, oh, it's taking forever for me to grow up. I just want to be an adult. I just want to be able to do all these things. But now I feel like I'm one of those adults in my life because it just feels like time is moving so fast. Like last week, it hit me that it was Thanksgiving already and then it's going to be Christmas and then it's going to be New Year's and then we're going to be in 2024. And it feels like we were just in 2020, you know, in so many ways. It feels like we were just in that year. So I think that's my gripe. It does kind of put in perspective for me to cherish every day and make the most use of my time. But I'm like, the time, it's it's moving faster. I think something's in the air. Something's happening. I'm telling you, it is moving so fast. And that was actually my story as well. Like my gripe (laughs) here, because I'm with you. Like you wake up and you go, whoa, it's Thanksgiving in two days. Like we are here, right? And then Christmas, as you mentioned, will be here and then New Year. And then next, you know, it's spring break all over again. You're like, what just happened with time? But it's going by so fast. And for me, the, the reason I thought of this was because I saw this story And it just blew my mind that this guy is retiring because I remember him making his debut on KPRC. And I'm talking about meteorologist Campbell Marshall. He's retiring after 24 years at KPRC. He started in 1999. And I remember when he started because he was so unique with his style Mm -hmm. and his wardrobe. And I was like, who is this guy? This is so cool to see somebody, one, a minority, like just killing the weather game and two, like having his own style and his own flow of things as opposed to the, all right, well, here's your weather, Chuck, (laughs) you know, and it was so much fun to watch him. And here we are 24 years later and he's retiring. And the number that really blew my mind, Brooke, are you ready for this? He's 70 years old. I mean, that is crazy. He does not look 70 at all. Like that, that is so wild. When I saw that too, I couldn't believe that because I'm like, yeah, he's retiring. Maybe he's retiring young when I saw the the headline because I didn't realize mm-hmm. how how much older he was. But 70, he looks like he's in his 50s, honestly. He spent 50 years in the industry, in the TV industry. So that in itself is like, what, 50 years, yes. right? So uh, congratulations on an awesome career. And 
thanks for being like an anchor in time for me, Cambrell Marshall, because now I'm like, oh, the guy that I remember debuting is retiring. So yeah, yeah that's my gripe as well. <laughs> All right, Brooke, that was a lot of fun. And we do have an episode tomorrow on Wednesday about Thanksgiving. So everyone, please listen to that one. It was one of my favorite chats. I can't wait for y'all to listen to it. Brooke, thank you. Yes, thanks so much for having me. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. That was Brooke Lewis. Be sure to subscribe to Hey Houston with the link in our show notes. That will do it for today. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned something new. Is about 200 is about 200,000, well, let me see, is about 207, 200 and 700, that doesn't, 207,000. Yeah. Yeah, 207,000. That makes no sense to me. It's such a hard number. No, it's not. It's 2,700 because it's on the 700. I'm so confused. Are you trying to say it's 207,000 or 2,700? It's 200,700. That's 700, right? Oh, 200,000. Oh, yeah, that's confusing. (laughs)